Welcome to this series, Overcoming a Sense of Academic Failure, which has been prepared and produced through collaboration between me, Emily Trishenko, and the University of Oxford Career Service. Other voices are those of early, mid and late career researchers within and beyond academia. They all have experience of some of the failure-related feelings we'll be exploring, and insights to share about how to understand them and what to do with them. If the material we cover raises questions or concerns in you, we suggest you contact your university's careers service or counselling service. And as we continue to build these resources over the coming years, we'd love to hear what you think of the podcasts, what resonated with you or helped you, what you think could be changed or added. You can find a web form on the Oxford Careers Service website at careers.ox.ac.uk forward slash overcoming hyphen failure. This is the fourth podcast of five, all of them around half an hour long. This one asks what to do about it all, focusing in particular on changes to personal attitudes. There are as many ways to respond to failure and the fear of it as there are people. Now that the first three of our podcasts have encouraged you to spend some time reflecting on what failure is and is not, and how it relates to you and other people, to academia and the world beyond, for these last two instalments it's time to think more concertedly about what you're going to do about it all. Doing is as much about mental habits as it is about behaviours. Some of the suggestions that arose from our failure event are concrete, like events to set up. Some less tangible, like attitudes to cultivate. But they all acknowledge how the very idea of failure can get into our bloodstream. And how once there, it can be shifted to affect us for good or ill. The first set of possibilities are about personal attitudes. Some of them are about distinguishing now from always or the immediate from longer-term effects of particular actions. The most fundamental is perhaps simply to face up to your failures. When you do, you will probably feel first worse and then better. Rather than shying away from them, look your experiences and feelings of failure right in the eye and say to them, Do your worst. I will thrive despite you. There are as many ways to respond to failure and the fear of it as there are people. I really wanted to, you know, to have an ethical way of dealing with things, including my own difficulties, knowing that you are the only person who could do things the way you do them and that you're good at what you're doing. So just go on doing it. Another important principle is to doubt yourself. Not in the destructive sense of distrust, but in the constructive sense of sceptical inquiry. Doubt your reasons for doing what you do and for responding as you do. Then investigate them, then accept or reject them. Feel how not taking your first instinct as the only possibility makes you more curious and open about yourself and the rest of the world. If you distance yourself from yourself, you tend to be kinder to yourself. You're not always beating up on yourself. So that's a thing which is worth doing occasionally. Being inquisitive in your private, regarding your sort of your emotional, intellectual life, is a very positive thing. Even when it leads to feelings of failure of some kind. It's a price you pay for a sort of more deeper, understanding of yourself and of the environment you live in. 
I keep asking myself questions. I'm, I'm very proud of this part of my life. Along with doubt, always practice compassion towards yourself. This is often harder than being compassionate towards others, but try. Don't treat yourself as part of a performance metric. Productivity is not inherently good. And after you make time for other people, make time for yourself. Sometimes you could even try making time for yourself first. It's good to get carried away with your research, but there are times I think I've personally found myself starting to feel just a bit odd, like not quite right, and I can't pinpoint why that is. And then there'll be a day where I just can't focus at all, and I will go home and I will draw, or I will get like paints out, I've made like masks out of cardboard and weird things like that, and I've just felt so much better. I mean, like, that is quite literally creative. There are other, you know, ways of being creative. Um, so just definitely indulge yourself in that because it's, it's so much more important than people give credit for. People are inherently creative. Academia can be creative, but it can also be a long slog that gets you bogged down in nitty-gritty details and you forget about the whole picture. So I would say just try to indulge in what's creative and if you need a day off to do that then do that just go do it for a bit and come back not feeling guilty and guilt is the main thing to try and overcome also try and tie it in with your research i did an art course a while ago and since then my lab book's completely changed i've sort of been using it like landscape and drawing massive kind of schematics and things to help me think about the process and and even though that was something I've sort of done before I've never really like relaxed myself to get into it I've never been like okay you're going to solve this now but you're going to solve this solely by just drawing I did get told by some colleagues at my internship that I was far too creative to be working in academia and that made me so happy and also so like oh god <laughs> why so it's uh, it's an important thing to be aware of because okay, so that's just recognising, understanding yourself. Fake it until you make it. Act yourself into the part until it stops feeling like acting. Pretense can be part of a solution as well as part of the problem. It took years for me to realise that I was creating a persona for myself. I did it completely unconsciously, I think. But I think there are two aspects to that. One is that the kind of persona that you that you try to create for yourself will in the end become the persona that you are. It turns into the real you in some kind of way. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a good thing either. It's just, it's how life is. And if you're consistent about a persona, then, then, then that's the one that you will become. But I think that there's another bit, there's another aspect to this, which is in particular, when you're operating in the public space, the most obvious example is when you're teaching. But it's true with being in meetings or being on public podia if you actually happen to be in one. You project a version of yourself. Teaching is acting. That's partially a self-protection operation, but it's also a method of communication. You, you communicate while you act. And so it's not a bad thing to do. In fact, it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to be able to do because you figure out how best to communicate by acting. And so playing that role, it, it, in a sense, it's the same point that once you act it long enough, then that's how you teach and that's how you are as a teacher. So it becomes you. But it is necessary to recognize that teaching is a form of acting with all the various 
elements like stage fright and drying up that you might find actors talking about who operate on a stage. Or try hard until you no longer want to. It's okay to stop, breathe, and then try something else. Some other pieces of our failure events collective wisdom about individual attitudes concern the balance between focus and breadth, or seriousness and light-heartedness. For example, don't put all your eggs in one basket, not even the academic basket. Vision, drive and commitment can be very powerful, but wield them wisely and remember that no life reduces to a single thing, nor would it be better if it did. At the moment I sort of see my PhD as I'm driving over a hill and I can see the sea and there's a cliff edge and I'm like, oh God, that looks beautiful over there, but I don't want to like fall off the edge into the abyss. So just waiting to see what happens. There is, there's loads of opportunity, but um, it's quite nice for once to be in a point where you don't know exactly what that is, but just knowing that you've spent enough time working on all aspects of yourself that always have something to fall back on. So that's a nice feeling, but a little bit scary. Lots of uncertainties, but no feeling of having nothing. Related to this, set your own goals, don't inherit other people's. If you look at the people whose esteem you are supposed to be competing to attract and so on, well, it depends, some people want to esteem you, but there are some places where you would think there's a great misfortune. It might be easier than you think to let old ambitions go. To everyone, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't think you have to do what other people seem to think you ought to do. If you see opportunities, grab them. Any opportunities. And it may be a huge sideways move, but if it looks good, you probably won't regret it. Definitely to just try and speak to as many people as possible at different levels of their career although my experience doing that it's mostly it tends to be like quite intently why would you leave academia you need to sort of branch out and not just talk to academics you should try and find maybe some people that have gone from academia into industry and just sort of have a talk to them and see what kind of lifestyle you want how do you think you would ideally shape your career should you go for one job that is going to be incremental you stay in this job and you climb as far as you can that used to be the standard pattern and in some ways it was humanly very difficult because if people had partners and children and so on it meant that somebody was probably going to have to make a sacrifice and now people do things together more i think but also the jobs are a lot more demanding and you have to move around a lot more probably than people had to. And I personally have liked moving and have hopped from job to job whether I had to or not. So if you get the chance to work somewhere different, somewhere really different, I think that's worth potentially sacrificing a few career notches too. And there are probably other ways of making sure that you don't land back too far down the ladder when you come back. Be butterfly-minded. Alight gently and move often. I've never decided what I want to do when I grow up.
Learn to laugh, then practice. I think I started to accept the city more when I just sort of decided to just be like, no, no more college things. And uh, I, I tried to go to a few with my friends and things, and I was like, okay, I had a good time. But if you kind of sit back and observe everything as a third person, it tends to be a lot more hilarious and a lot more easier to deal with. I was sort of like, okay, this isn't me, but it's kind of interesting. <laughs> and finally, there's a group of ideas for learning to distinguish between what matters and what does not. Find something that gets you out of bed in the morning, or if you hate that phrase, something that makes you not even notice getting out of bed, or at least doesn't make getting out of bed even harder. You can edit a sigh. <laughs> Whistle. Do I want to still be in Oxford or not? I would probably like still to be in Oxford. I'd love to be back on the academic side of things. Certainly love to be spending more time researching. If I can do that and still do administrative work, that would be great. If I can't, then it would be wonderful to be back being an academic again. But doing research that engages with people and tries to change the world rather than tries to produce a monograph. Humanities-based research and agency is my big thing. What is it to do something? And the whole mental foundation that's, that's based on so it's memory and creativity. What is it to have a conversation with another person? How can two people speak? Th things that really will impact people's lives and enable them to be empowered to go on and do other things that will change the world. I'd love to be involved in that. And helping people who have struggled with mental ill health and who've been in the situation I was in, so helping them to go back into something rather than having to leave it behind. So that, again, we can get across this idea that one failure might not be the end of a road, but that it's just part of a process. There can be a sense of finality, and I think that that's something that probably is still there in academia, that the wrong failure at the wrong time, and that could be the end of it, and it shouldn't be. Know that academia can be a vampire. Ask yourself how much of your lifeblood you are willing to give it. Ask yourself, too, Am I a victim? Have you been acting as though you are? Should you try to change the system or yourself? Right now, do you have the means or the energy to do one or both? I moved because I had a breakdown while I was doing my doctorate and that meant I basically I got into lots of debt, I wasn't able to finish my studies and then I needed to get a job and as a result, I haven't been able to go back to my studies because the financial needs have dictated. So from that point of view, being around academics is very frustrating. But being around students is absolutely brilliant. And our, our students are fantastic. And getting to do things that will support them and to help them not to end up unsupported with a mental health condition, for example, is something that's really rewarding. So trying to make sure that there is a supportive atmosphere for students, that's really great because that's what wasn't really there when I was a student. It's a great opportunity. Remember that avoidance gives too much credit to what is avoided. In a book that criticises the culture of mindless positivity, Mark Manson says, In my life I have given a fuck about many things. I have also not given a fuck about many things. And like the road not taken, it was the fucks not given that made all the difference. This does not mean care about nothing. What it means is, remember that we can't help caring about some stuff. And then the constructive question is, what merits caring about? 
and how can we stop exhausting ourselves caring about the stuff that doesn't merit it? I have had some of my highest academic achievements or successes when I've had probably been at the, my lowest personally and that helped me suddenly realise that actually yes they're successes, yes they're great but what really mattered to me what was it, what happened to my family and friends. So ironically <laughs> I was having great success academically but personally I was, <laughs> I was in tears <laughs> and that's put a lot of things in perspective. They never align and that's fine because I didn't come straight from school to university. I've worked and I've worked in a number of different jobs. I've been a bartender and that. I think I've learned that people have lives and what happens in your working life, and yes, it's good to get success, whether that be papers or fellowships or grants. Actually, the thing that makes me most happiest is watching you know, people being healthy and happy and, and enjoying people. So it has taken a while, but I think you do learn that those things are important. You have only one life and you'll be dead a lot longer than you'll be alive. So try a few different things in the time that you have. If you find something that really makes you happy, cherish it. If you haven't yet found that thing, you'll know it. Don't be afraid to act accordingly. Think of three things you regret. What are the regrets that stay with you? How do your failures and your regrets relate to each other, if at all? Are you surprised by the lack of overlap? There are some things that I wish I had done differently, but only in a kind of abstract way, because when I think about them and think about the choice I made at any given moment, I realise I would have made the same choice. I think that's really it. It would have been nice sometime when I was a lot younger to have taken a year out, but at the moments in which I had that choice, that was not a choice I made. And I suspect I wouldn't make the same choice again, because that's me. There are some things that, that still stick with me that I wish had gone differently, and they're absolutely trivial. I mean, there was one example when it was so hard when you've got little kids to make the time to get them looked after, to go into the university and do an experiment. And I'd agreed with one lecturer that I could use his students to do a short test at the end of his lecture. And I was sitting in the room outside, and I was pregnant, and I thought, I, I need to go to the loo you know, to make sure that I don't have to win the experiment. And he'd come out to look with, for me to check that I was there, just as I'd gone to the loo. And when I came back, all the students were, well, no, I went back and sat down in my place, but then I heard all the students coming out and he'd sent them away. And it was, you know, I never was able to repeat that. I mean, getting childcare and everything was that hard. Now, it's a silly thing to regret, but given the results, because I managed to do it with just a few students, I think it would have found an effect if I'd had more. And it was just, it's always, always upset me. That is so pathetic and trivial, isn't it? I suppose the only big disappointment I had was when a job came up in parapsychology at Darwin College, Cambridge, and I applied for it, and I didn't get it. I didn't even get an interview. And the man who did get it was a sceptic who used the whole money to write a book that he was going to write anyway, and I felt resentful about that. Before that, I'd applied for the chair of parapsychology at Edinburgh University but I wasn't terribly disappointed not to get it because I was too young and, I, and the person who got it was very good and so that made a difference whether it should make a difference neither here nor there but but I think perhaps there haven't been huge disappointments other than the results themselves and in a way that's not a disappointment I mean to find out that all my ideas were wrong I believed in telepathy and that out-of-body experiences really were the astral really were astral projection and all of that to find out that I was wrong was very 
disappointing doesn't cover it. You know, it's like, no. But in the other, in a way, I, you know, of course I don't regret that. And I didn't regret it then because, because I was finding out, because I was learning. And learning you're wrong is one of the most important things of being a scientist. I did have these bits of looking back and forward, obviously. Forward is always hope, which may or may not materialize. But, but looking back, I don't think I have many regrets. Yeah, my regrets are not having tried to work with industry. Uh, at that time, I was still very much in my researcher mode. It was going very well at the time. And I saw myself as a researcher only, and I could have been a very good manager of, of the scientific lab. And that's, that's something I truly regret, but you can't turn the time back. I also had another chance, and that was working for Exxon. But very strangely, it was at exactly at the when I got a job offer from Brunel University, my first lectureship, and I chose Brunel because at the time I was rather afraid of you know life in the States and sort of living my life here. And at the time, my mother was still alive, you know, being closer to the family. Though at the time there was still no open way for me back to Poland was was important. And I had a relationship which I sort of knew deep down would break. And so that were all all pretty personal considerations. And I made this decision. And uh, in the end, my relationship broke up anyway after 20 odd years. But well, you, you, know, you don't know. That's the way, and in this sense, I can say I have regrets, but I don't have regrets because, okay, I put a lot into my academic career, and regret would be I, I could have put more if I would just say, all right, either this relationship survives or, or not, and just go for it. So, so just, you know, this sort of half, halfway thing, yeah, at maybe at few crucial points in my life, this halfway lack of decision, that was lack of real decision. That was something I regret, that I wasn't uh, sort of braver. And that, that is also something, one thing that I was always very much aware, that I have to work for my living, that truly I can't rely on anybody but myself. And I, I know that my former partner would be very hurt by this statement. But it's just something you are born with almost, yes. You, you choose the best in the circumstances. And, and I think in the end, you know, when I look at it now, that, that's okay. And maybe other regrets would be if I was too harsh to some people, you know, especially in working collaborations. Sometimes it was there, it wasn't often, but I know that it was there. I, I, I should have done better, that's all. But how can you go back to that? Unfortunately, those situations never repeat themselves. So, <laughs> in this sense, it's true. Then you know you, you got your lesson, but you have to start from the point at which you are now. Yeah, that, that's why regrets they do have role, but it's almost like the, the photography, like a snapshot. Yeah, they shouldn't have life any longer. They should be there, but no life any longer. Because I've always been really introverted and really shy and really anxious. I've always thought that I couldn't be someone who would do speaking or presenting. But then through the poetry community, that got me into giving more academic lectures and presentations. And I realised that actually 
there are lots of things about being an introvert that can be really helpful when you're speaking and it's a completely different thing so don't think that just because you are shy around people you can't absolutely love getting up in front of an audience so that's something that I've learned a long time after I left university and maybe if I'd learned it back then it would have been really good. First the fact that you prepare a lot because you don't feel comfortable so you prepare so that's really good. You put on a role. What I find difficult about being with people is that sort of it's spontaneous I don't know what I'm meant to be doing and certainly the whole small talk thing I, I can't understand it and I don't know what it's for. But when you're speaking, there, there's a role for you to play. And I wonder with my more extroverted friends that those boundaries just aren't there. So they go from how they are with their friends in the room, they get up and they talk in exactly the same way, and that doesn't always make for the best talk, to just carry on as though you're talking to your friends in the bar. I regret not being a bit stronger in trusting my own abilities. I, I didn't believe I could do it, actually. But then he did it anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't go if you go. <laughs> I think I have enormous regrets, but you mustn't wallow in them. You must try to say that enormous changes are possible at any at any moment. But it it does take a shift in your outlook, I think. And there again, perhaps thinking of yourself in a different mood. If I were an athlete. I suppose I would be used to the idea that a lot of me hurts a lot of the time. And if you're not physical, then when these things start to kick in with age, you are terribly resentful and, and uh, you sort of sit there thinking, well, I better take care of myself. Of course, that's not really the way forward. And in one's intellectual and academic life, if you, if you resent pain, you are simply living, reliving, trying to relive your youth when everything seemed comparatively easy because you had energy and everybody I suppose has a certain natural amount of originality that gives them a launch when they're young and it gets harder and basically if the work that you are doing is work that needs doing it is going to be difficult, it is going to feel difficult and if you feel that it is difficult then you are probably coping and not drowning As for other regrets, in my professional life, the things that I most regret are bad decisions I've made involving other people, especially at admissions interviews. I find the responsibility attached to the, to the admissions process very uncomfortable. And yet it probably is better if the admissions process is done by human beings than if it's entrusted to algorithms. I certainly have decided against some people who were very deserving candidates, and if I could go back and change these decisions, I would. But again, realistically, worrying about these decisions is perhaps a way of exaggerating my own importance, especially my own importance to other people's lives. As very taken by a recent cartoon Private Eye, which shows a man with his face and all the visible parts of his body covered by indelible tattoos, and the caption is, regrets, I've had a few. We all have. The only difference is we don't carry our regrets tattooed on our bodies, and we can hide them, but they are all the same. What we do with those regrets, though, is up to us. And it can make all the difference to pretty much everything. Thank you for listening to the fourth in our series of five podcasts on overcoming a sense of academic failure, which asks what you can do about feelings of failure 
with a focus on personal attitudes. We invite you to continue listening to the final podcast in the series, which moves on to consider personal actions. If you would like to explore anything raised by this discussion, please consider contacting your university's careers or counselling service. And if you feel stimulated to take action as a result of what we've discussed, talk to your divisional training leads or, again, your careers service. Do also let us know what you think by completing the feedback form on the Oxford Careers website at careers.ox.ac.uk forward slash overcoming hyphen failure. At the same address, you can also find a written workbook on the theme of overcoming a sense of academic failure, which covers similar topics to these podcasts, but also includes visuals, CVs of failure from some of our contributors, and a list of other resources.